This episode of The Outcast is brought to you by Hyundai, the exclusive automotive partner of Outfest. Hi, I'm Dave Kittredge, filmmaker in Los Angeles, and this is The Outcast, presented by Outfest, where we have conversations with LGBT creators and allies to discuss their work, their inspirations, their passions, and the challenges of getting our authentic voices heard. And today I'm chatting with two of the filmmakers and one of the subjects of the award-winning documentary Changing the Game about high school trans athletes. This amazing movie is now on Hulu and it won the Audience Award at Outfest for Best Documentary. I'm so thrilled to have director Michael Barnett, producer Alex Schmitter, and wrestler and transgender rights advocate Mac Beggs here with me. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for having us, David. Yeah, what's going on, David? <laughs> Listen, Michael, I'm going to start with you. Just tell me how this documentary came about. Yeah, uh, the doc came about a few years back. Uh, someone very near and dear to me um, began their transition, and they came to me for support, and I quickly realized that you know, I needed to sharpen my tools and I needed to um, educate myself better to, to really be a loving ally. And mm -hmm. I started that journey and the journey didn't include at the time making a movie, but I am a filmmaker and my instincts lie in that space deeply at all times. I took that journey very seriously. You know, I went to Gender Odyssey in Seattle and, uh, and I came across Mac's story and it wasn't quite the story it became. Um, and... When I came across Max story, I still wasn't thinking about making a film yet. I, I, maybe I was. I mean, I might be lying to myself if I said I wasn't. We, we, all, we all have those like, wait, is this a movie? Like, there's always that yeah. filter. Like, is this a movie? Exactly. Do I, do I yeah. do this? And so, but, it, you know, obviously, it, you know, as a documentary filmmaker, making a film is just, it's a years long journey. So, you know, kicking the tires on an idea, it's, you, you know, it's going to be a profound experience right. and, a, and, a, and a long one. And so what I was do really doing with Mac's story was kind of consuming as much as I could. It was early on in your story, Mac. And uh, a lot of the story was helping me contextualize and learn um, the, the, the kind of questions I was asking. And Mac's story was really helping galvanize and crystallize that for me. So much so that I couldn't get it out of my uh, system, you know? Right. And that's when I reached out to Alex, Alex Schmitter, and we, you know, started to have really tough conversations about um, the space for this movie and uh, should it exist? Can it exist? Should I be the filmmaker to make it? Should I be advocating for another filmmaker? Do you want to be a part of it? And that is where uh, it started. And, and we spent a long time kind of flying out and uh, touching base with Mac nearly a year before we showed up with cameras. Um, well, when we, when was this? Because because the, this the, was like the, 2017, early 2018, yeah, and right. we started filming. 2017. Yeah, 2017. Right. We started filming really with you, Mac. What like your wrestling season in February of 2018? Yeah, it was like when it was around districts and regionals and state. Um, yeah, exactly. So so yeah, I mean it's a long journey, and I think we first reached out to you, Mac in February or uh, around there during your... Yeah, there was definitely a lot of conversation at yeah, first. Yeah, in 20, right. like an entire year before. And yeah, just kind of laying those groundworks and letting him know that, you know, we would be here when the smoke cleared if you wanted the space to tell your story, you know, your story. Um, and we would be that vehicle and, and help Mac do so. Um, 
And that's when Alex came on too, who I think, you know, has a lot to say to this, uh, starting with probably some deep skepticism. <laughs> well, Alex, you're also the GLAD Associate Director of Transgender Representation, and you were a producer, or, or Associate Producer or Producer, I forget, on Disclosure. Uh, of course, we talked to Sam and, and uh, Amy and, and Laverne last season. Um, that's a fantastic documentary. So obviously this is just, you know, yeah. an important, important, pro you know, subject. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> working at GLAAD um, and as a filmmaker myself, I'm always really sensitive about whose stories are being told and by whom are they being told. Um, and so when Michael and Claire first approached me, I was very skeptical and hesitant. I'd seen Mac's story. Um, sort of spread across national news headlines. And I saw Andrea's starting to pick up. And, um, you know, I, I'm very open and candid about my own preconceived notions and discomfort with this subject matter of trans inclusion in sport. But right. when I met Michael and Claire, I just knew them. I knew what their intention was. I knew that they were going to do that hard work, which I was also willing to do to overcome whatever discomfort I had and really deliver these stories to do the subjects, these young, incredible people proud. And that set us off on, you know, a four and a half year journey. And I, I feel so honored that not only these young people entrusted us to help them tell their stories, but that Michael and Claire entrusted me to help contribute and steer the stories in a way that we, as you said, we've been embraced mm -hmm. across the board within the trans community, within the LGBT community. I mean, those audience awards from Outfest and Frameline uh, for Best Documentary mean the world to us uh, because it means that the community loves the stories that we help tell. And, and also, we know in screening the film in small towns, big cities, red states, blue states, everywhere, everyone, they love the film because it's a, it's a film about love. It's a film about, you know, being the grandma Nancy in someone's life or, or having a grandma Nancy in your life, which just means having a champion who loves and accepts you. So I, this is the proudest film and project I've ever been a part of because the people I've gotten to know and work with, I mean, it is just a labor of love. It was just so important. Like, I think it's just really important that when we, everyone established, established this film and was thinking about making it the energy of just, of trust and love and acceptance was so overwhelming. Like they didn't even need to say words when everything was happening. And I was just like, just, just let me, they were just like, you just do your thing and we'll just be here. We're, we're here for you. Uh, we're, we're here to show up for you and tell your story in a, in a profound way. This must've been an overwhelming experience because you were, you were going through what you were going through personally in yourself battling your battles, trying to get into, you know, wrestle boys instead of girls as Texas was demanding that you do, um, which is in and of itself a thorny issue. You actually talk about it in the film that you didn't, you know, kind of feel it was fair, like not to the people that you were wrestling, not to you. Um, to bring filmmakers into that, like, incredibly fraught situation, I mean, it takes an enormous amount of courage, but like, like what, what led you to agree to this? I, I just wanted my story to be heard in a way that I felt that I felt was right. I'm always like a person that always felt energy. I'm very spiritual. Um, and when I get this energy from somebody that, especially whatever I'm going through in life, that is going to help me grow and develop as a person, 
um, I feel that loving energy. I, I feel it immensely. And, you know, I felt like the media was hijacking my story yeah. and was portraying me to be a monster. And really, I'm just a sweet, loving dude and a kind <laughs> guy that <laughs> just um, just wants to achieve in life and just be successful. They were positioning it as you were trying to get away with something, which is really like awful and offensive. But they were trying to position it like, oh, you know, you're you're taking testosterone or you're like, you don't want to wrestle girls because it's quote unquote easier. And yet consistently, and the film shows this, you were like, no, this is not right. I want to be wrestling boys. I'm a boy. This is what I want to do over and over and over again. Yeah, UIL, yeah, UIL refused to let me wrestle the guys. I wanted to wrestle the guys. They knew that I wanted to wrestle the guys. And when I got the opportunity, I could do that in the USA uh, wrestling division, which is like for freestyle and Greco. But that was the only time that I could do that. And even then, during that time, I could only wrestle in Greco matches. You couldn't wrestle freestyle matches if you were biologically born female in USA wrestling. And, you know, I was like, you know what? If y'all aren't going to change the rules, you know what? I'm just going to continue to compete. I'm not going to let anybody stop me from continuing to compete and play a sport that I love. And um, I was like, what are the things that I need to do in order to make others feel comfortable in order for you to feel comfortable in order for me to do the things that I love? And this film is very timely because this week, um, Florida became the eighth state uh, to limit transgender people's participation in sports. Um, Ron DeSantis, who I'm not a big fan of, uh, and if you are listening to this and you are a big fan, you... Well, you should probably not be listening to this. Um, you know, can you just like... You no, know, it's okay, dude. It's, they can listen to this <laughs> Maybe they'll learn they, something. I don't know. It's, it's Yeah, a, learn something. It's, it's a... It, I mean, it just... Uh, you know, I don't use the word evil a lot, but this just feels evil. It just feels awful and mm -hmm. wrong. And I mean, maybe like Alex, you can speak to kind of like the, the you know, this law and the laws in... Arkansas and Alabama and Idaho, all of this stuff happened subsequent, like to having made changing the game. And this is all after. Yeah. But, but it's not a new conversation. So like in right. 2016, we saw the slew of, you can't see me, but there's quotations around bathroom bills. This is an extension of those bills, which were largely failures because people understood that politicians were just preying on people's ignorance and fears, and people saw right through that. Right. With this, with these um, athlete bans, they are merely more strategic extensions of those. But you know, the benefit of where we are today, and with a film like Changing the Game out on Hulu right now, is that people are actually getting to know the trans athletes who are affected by the policies that are being put into place because in the film, it was very important to us to make it for everyone. Everyone right. is welcome into this conversation, into getting to know these incredible young people. What a gift to see their stories and their communities and the love and support that exists and like the life-saving nature of sport. And, and what we found again in screening the film is that once people get to know them, they realize that this is just political propaganda trying to scapegoat and, and make children political pawns um, in addressing a problem that doesn't actually exist. I mean, it's a made up yeah. problem that they have created in order to galvanize a base of somebody, but the majority that we're seeing are understanding what these attacks are about. It got so bad to the point to where a fact AFB 
had to ask me and be like, there was this picture going around with me and um the uh my friend um Elise and it was during at regionals and people were thinking that I was a trans woman. And um, you know, that's described to me as a person. I'm just like, dude, like why are you trying to publicize my story in a way that's towards your um, you know, political agenda? And it's not like, even your story. Not, it's 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 not even your story. I mean, your story is exactly is is much deeper and richer and and more compelling than, than that. But that but that story is the definition of a hijacked false narrative. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly, and it is, you know, Michael. it's interesting going backwards a little bit. I think people that voted for Ron DeSantis should see this movie. You know, I think it would hopefully be illuminating to them to understand that uh, the bill that just passed in their state is a bill that's creating solutions for problems that don't exist. And it's hateful and yeah. it's discriminatory. And, and they're going to it's going to hurt not just trans youth, but all youth, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of gender nonconformity when you're growing up. You're figuring out who you are, how you fit in. And so what people haven't understood about this conversation is that while trans youth are the targets, it's a slippery slope. Everyone will be implicated in what these laws are really based in, which is in racist, sexist notions about who gets to be and who gets to succeed. Right. And I think a lot of people are coming into this conversation with more deep, nuanced understanding after they get to know these young people and their stories. They're like, wait, I feel all this empathy and I'm moved. What do I do with this? And then they start looking into the actual issue and realizing, oh, I know what this is about. I, I think and not a, what they're saying. It's you about. make an excellent point. I think that's an excellent point. And, and, I believe, yeah, I, I can absolutely see a Florida voter who maybe passively voted for Ron DeSantis because like, you know, whatever, seeing this film and being like, oh, wait a second, because that's actually, I mean, if you look back, that's the history of like gay rights. If you go back 20 years, like, you know, when did gay rights start to turn around? It was like, you know, around act up, post act up, but it was will and grace. It was stuff like that, that suddenly people on the heartland are like, wait a second, Gay gay people aren't these lunatics that like my you know my Republican <laughs> senator says they are or whatever you know they're they're just people and and then we saw you know across the board poll after poll the biggest shift in social like dynamics uh, of any I think minority uh, population or demographic in history um, so this is a very important film for people to see that that did you know, support Rhonda Sanders or any of these people that kind of would pass laws or support laws that would, you know, impinge on people. I want to tell a quick story that I just heard that I think uh, speaks to this in, in a, a very specific way. A friend of mine um, just told me that uh, her child's class, um, someone uh, publicly came out in their class uh, as trans and the whole classroom uh, in solidarity, uh, came out as non-binary. Oh, wow. How, how old were that's these children? So impactful. They're in sixth grade. Oh my God. That's wow. so great. So let's that's imagine so that's in Florida. That means every one of those kids cannot play sports. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I, you know, I think it speaks to something that's in the film that Matt talks about too. Like kids just seem to get it. They just seem to accept people for who they are. And there's a growing, um, population, especially of Gen Z, who are saying that they're not straight or cisgender. So this is 
this is a growing community of people. Um, and the acceptance is only growing as well. And to your point, David, when we look at that statistic about only 20% of people saying they personally know someone who's transgender, it's about 90% of people that say that they know someone who's LGB. And so, you know, if they see Will and Grace, they also know that not everyone is a Will or, Will or a Jack. Right. They also have their barista, their uncle, their brother, their whoever. Whereas for trans people, most of the exposure and familiarity people are getting about who we are has been from media, which traditionally and historically have not done us any favors. Right. Um, See the disclosure documentary what... from last year, <laughs> like you know, the whole history on that. Yeah, but the, but you know that is, I think, the benefit of actually going into and getting to know Mac, getting to know Sarah her family, Andrea, her family, her teammates, um, they they can't say they don't know anyone anymore. I mean, nope. they get a yep. really intimate, profound look into their lives. And again, I want to just commend these young people for, for sharing because their stories are sacred and they don't owe them to anybody. I think that's something that that trans people need to know and understand you don't have to share anything about yourself that you don't want to unless you want to invite people in and invite people in that you trust and i think that was a big part of our filmmaking process it was like we're gonna be here we're gonna support you and tr and we're gonna gain your trust because our intentions are are to do you proud and and i think it's i hope more documentary filmmakers and stories about trans people specifically take that into account. And I hope the movies are as good as Changing the Game because Changing the Game literally could change the game for a lot of people who don't know trans people or don't know much about visibility. And and this goes to a question I wanted to ask Mac. Mac, for your story, when you began to realize that you were a trans, like what what visibility did you have? Like what what role models or what did you have in your you know world? I mean, I was I was I was kind of on my own in a sense. Uh, I mean, when I was growing up, I mean, really the only person that I could really look up to was um Aiden Dowling. And that was probably when I was just getting into high school. And that was who I look up to immensely. And Aiden's phenomenal. Um, and then like, you know, I just had a couple of, you know, mainstream athletes that, you know, were doing phenomenal during their time, like, especially at the Olympic level, like Sean White. And, you know, I love snowboarding. I love watching that. And it was, it was impactful for me to, to achieve such an achievement that they have um, that when I got into sports, it was just, everything outside that I was dealing with in life, whether it was internally or externally, helped immensely when I was playing sports and being able to be with my peers, being able to have these real connections with people that I never knew that I would thought I have. And on top of that, when I started going deeper and diving deeper into who I was, I had to you know, think of myself on a psychological level of why is it that I am like this? Like I had to ask my like self, I had to ask myself deep questions of why am I doing this? Am I doing this for me? Am I doing it for others? And I think those are a really good question to ask when you are going through a journey, like when you're being trans, it's like, it's when you're first figuring out, is this who I am? Like, is this who I really am? And if you could say with a smile on your face, 
then yeah, it's who you are. <laughs> like you're just like this is me. Like they, no one gonna tell me different that that I'm this or that. Like this is me. I'm Mac Beggs. I'm male. I am an athlete. I am a student athlete. I'm a wonderful person. I'm a loving person. I am a niece. I am a son. I am a nephew. Like that is who I am. And I just want to say something really incredible that I think has just come up is like. Mac was looking at Aiden Dowling as someone that he could see himself in. And, and I just, I'm imagining all the young people who are seeing themselves in Mac, Sarah, Andre, and Terry. I mean, we see that in the film. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it's, it's yeah. Andrea being herself that allows Terry to see that she can be herself. And I just want to say how far we've come because when I was growing up, and, and I, I bring it full circle back to changing the game. I promise when I was growing up, the first time I ever saw anyone that was even closely resembling my experience, because I didn't know anyone trans at the time, was when I saw the film Boys Don't Cry. Mm-hmm. So I saw Hillary yeah. Swank portraying Brandon Tina. Mm-hmm. Wait, but that was what I had to hold on to. And, and despite that, I was like, it was so relieving because it's like, okay, I'm not alone. And yet how horrifying that if I become, my life is going to end in a very violent way. And why I bring that up. Yeah. And that's also scary for yourself, but for people around you who love and care about you, it's scary. And that is why we need representation of like what is possible and to be able to see and relate to people who do live those experiences that we do. Because growing up, I didn't have someone that had lived my same experience. That being said, I will say when we screen changing the game at mountain film and a familiar face came up i've never been speechless in my life it was hillary swank and she just said that the film just i mean was so powerful and impactful for her and it was a full circle moment for me because i met someone who allowed me to see myself despite that not being her intention or that being her experience so anyway it but she did, visibility she did. and representation is so important and, and, and people bring, can feel that though yeah people exactly can feel like when you made an impact on them and they're just like wow like that is that connection it's, it's like all those connections that we're trying to feel like right now in our society right now it's like we're missing out on connections and we're, we're establishing it right now and getting real with this next generation coming up you know and you bring up a good point also about uh you know about boys don't cry and about movies and media up until now it's like you know boys don't cry we can watch it now from like a a lens of like you know the 2020s and be like okay this is somewhat problematic i mean it's based on a true story and the documentary if you haven't seen the brandon tina story everyone out there is so good that i don't even know if you can find it as much i know you can find boys don't cry but the brandon tina story which is literally the story of this person um who who was horribly murdered um is fantastic um, but we look at Boys Don't Cry. We look at Hillary Swank's performance. She obviously went way under the surface to try and embody this character, despite the fact that this is, you know, a piece of tra- – she is not trans. Um, it's a piece of trans representation with a very unhappy ending. Um, kind of like I don't, I, I don't even know if it's similar, like a Boys in the Band kind of situation for gay men back in 1970. I think it's actually a little bit more hostile and 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 disturbing. But movies like Changing the Game, you know, one of the, the reason that this is so important, the reason that I was like, oh my god, we have to put this on the Outcast, 
is because the more people see this, the more people understand that that trans people are like just people. They're like, you know, these are these are just kids. These are just teenagers. They just want to perform. They want to they want to, you know, participate. Um, and that's kind of I feel like what melts the iceberg of like all this bullshit that we all have to deal with. It's showing that love and acceptance. It's um, getting down to like what's real and what really makes up life and you know how everything is just around us like everything's fulfilling when there's love and acceptance and you know this was an this was an intention that we set very early on in the film it was a goal of ours to create that positive roadmap you know not create it i just illuminate it you can feel uh, it you can feel yeah. it throughout yeah. the movie you, you can know feel and it. this is this was you know I, I felt like you know on my own journey uh I, I, that's what I found in Mac's story. I found a real beacon of hope and courage. You know, I, I feel like that courage is still unfair that he has to be this courageous to just be. But I did find that sense of courage to be really profoundly moving for me and move the needle internally in me, right? And help me crystallize a lot of stuff. And, you know, when we talk about role models and the lack of, we now get, you know, Mac Beggs as a role model. And what a gift. One of um, my editorial uh, team members here at Superfilms, um, who worked really hard and tirelessly on the film, had never met Mac. And I just literally Oh, no, pointed, really? Oh, my and God. I, and I just pointed my computer, and she just started weeping. Dude, you, like, put on the waterworks, bro. I don't cry. Because a waterworks-only group. Mac, you, you embody love and courage like few people I've ever met. Dude, thanks, Michael. People will get the roadmap and the possibility in Mac, and simultaneously... When you watch the film, you see Grandma Nancy, you see Ngazi, you see Jen and Tom, and you recognize you can be those people for other people too. You can be the loving, supportive champions in ways that we don't often see, and yet they exist. They just aren't reflected in the reality of the stories that we see. So it's everybody has a way that they can come in and relate to the heroes and and hopefully feel compelled and, and called to action to be the heroes, uh, both for themselves and for other people. Yeah, 100%. So everybody knows documentaries are primarily made in the edit. So why don't you tell me exactly kind of how post-production worked on this? I, and I realize also that you gave your two editors writing credits, which is, you know, I think more honest than a lot of documentary directors do because generally speaking it's the truth tell me about the workflow tell me about how much you shot how long it took to call that down to a 90 minute feature yeah we shot a lot we also shot with additional kids that don't appear in the film so we really had a, a mountain of footage um and you know alex and claire and i had really tough conversations about the sensitivities of including uh some of the other subjects um and it was really tough decision and process to go through and conversations to have with those families who would let us film with them for a year, you know? Um, so we, we had a lot of stuff and really what we started doing um, is a true verite movie. You know, we, we hit the ground um, with cameras in real time, didn't know the outcome of any of these stories. You know, if Mac had broken a wrist or something mid season, uh, we'd have a very different film on our hands. I did injure myself too. Right. Yeah. I mean, you did injure yourself, but you worked through the injury. Yeah. Uh, uh, so really what we started doing was um, filming, 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 
And we had so much footage coming in. I mean, I basically spent that entire, you know, year, year and a half on the road because there were so many kids. And, you know, the way the seasons lined up, it was kind of perfect for us. It was like max season. And then it was Sarah Rose's ski season. And then it was Andrea's uh, track season. And a few of them overlapped. So we would just kind of like fly and intermingle. And uh, uh, really, um, we would bring all the footage back home. Um, and we had a, 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 our first a, a set of edit eyes uh, was actually a transgender editor. Um, and they would go through the footage, um, and tell me everything I'm doing wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and, and, uh, they weren't really focusing on like the good stuff. It it was a real learning curve for me and it was a really essential one. Right. And that was like our first kind of front line of, uh, eyes on footage. And, and then I would sort of get these lessons of like, well, when you head back out, let's focus on this instead of this. Like maybe don't focus on body parts, focus on, you know, the journey. Or, right. And when that would start to happen, we would then kind of um, obviously start building assemblies, but we weren't building like a structure yet. We were really building individual assemblies of every kid and just structuring out their individual arcs. Right. Because I hope this works well in the film. And I, and I think this is a testament to my uh, extraordinary edit staff and members and collaborators that we uh, uh, take these stories that are very unique individuals. We take the thematic of those stories into kind of one story and then that kind of drives for a while. And then it kind of comes back out into their individual triumphs again. Mm -hmm. Uh, But with all those thematics kind of harmonizing while we're also focusing on that individuality. Right. You're you're talking about the micro and the macro. You're talking about, you have to have these pockets of micro acts and then, and then basically all of them put together have to be one cohesive mm-hmm. whole telling this one story. So you have like lots of little ripples, but one large wave all over it. And it's very hard to keep all that in your head at one point. So, so as we were going, we would create those assemblies. And then when those assemblies were coming out, they were quite long. Uh, and then Alex would jump in as well. And I would basically get my round two of uh, do this, don't do that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Uh, but in a much more sort of structured minutiaed way. I mean, you know, we didn't bring Alex on for optics. We brought Alex on at the highest possible decision-making level. And, and Alex uh, was nicer. Alex was just like, maybe you don't I didn't do- need, I didn't need <laughs> nice. I mean, I do like nice, but I really, I'm, I'm not naive as to what I know and don't know. Right. Uh, as a matter of fact, the more that I do this and the more that I continue on my journey as just a storyteller, I realize I know nothing. You know, it's and a very I embrace, valuable thing I, to know. Yeah, that, and that I embrace that. I embrace that. That's uh, la- yeah, I embrace that lack of knowledge. Uh, and and I think I lean into it really hard to collaborate. And and I think um, I think this film really benefited from that. I've never had to shut the fuck up more on a movie and really listen. You know, and uh, I think if I weren't so humbled by Mac and these stories, the film would have suffered. And there were times when Alex and I had really tough conversations because I would say, well, this is extraordinary for a character arc, just thinking purely from uh, architectural filmmaking, right? And all of my training, I've made a bunch of movies. We know how to map these things out. We know the architecture of them. We know the structures of them. We know where the beats go. We know where the scenes go, right? And I would uh, just say to Alex, well, if we take that out, we're, we're, we're just, we're annihilating the structure. We're just destroying this arc. And he'd be like, yeah, cool. We'll figure it out. It's not going to be in there, you know? <laughs> uh, and I'd be like, okay, well, let me unlearn what I know here and readjust. And 
And it, honestly, there was not a single moment, Alex, tell me if you disagree, where you hit a, a speed bump and uh, and we had, you know, tough conversations and it was never a debate or an argument. It was always, I think, both of us really listening and our entire team, you know, really collaborating together <laughs> and inevitably coming to the right conclusion. You know, this is going this is going to make a better no. I could be almost like a neutral standpoint in this just because of the fact that I am part of the community, but also like when it comes to filmmaking and there's certain and when it comes to like telling a story and like especially like in our society today, what's the best way we can be achievable and showing this story and how it will not just reach just the community, but also reach many other communities that's going to make an impact on. It's, you know, and that's one of the biggest things about this film is that I mean, in a way, and I and I don't mean this at all as a pejorative, it's an extraordinarily audience-friendly movie. I did not see this with a crowd of people, but it won the audience award. So I can only imagine, and, and having seen the film, I can only imagine how much love this must have engendered during the screening by the end. I mean, there were even those moments where you actually shot those, the bigoted people who were like the woman who forgot what she was like. She was ranting for like 30 seconds. And then she's like, I forgot the question. And I'm like, that's fucking great i love i just want to like play that for, every, <laughs> for everybody that is they're, screaming they're, about that's this gonna it's definitely like, be a thumbnail bit <laughs> it, it should be someone should make a gif of that i'm gonna send that to people i mean and just even more context like some of those people who were heckling and yelling at these children um didn't even have kids at these meets they would just show up that doesn't surprise i mean that's absolutely I yeah mean, i mean why yeah of course you say it doesn't surprise you it surprised me in real time because i was in real time i would say the the point where there is the most fear for me as a filmmaker fear for max safety the most tension in the space that you, you could slice through yeah that that anger yeah i mean it people were so foaming thick, at the mouth at mac at states it was Claire, uh, uh, our producer, our other producer who's not on this, uh, mm -hmm. she looked at me at one point in time with just terror in her eyes. Mm -hmm. And she was like, this is absolutely astounding what is happening here. And we all just looked at Mac and Mac's coach really went into, you know, protection mode and was like, let's get him out of here. Oh, I, I love mean, Mac's coach in this movie. This is, he's so he's like- He's such a hard ass. Like- Mm. I, I, he's I, such a I want hard him to ass. be my coach, and I'm not even saying that in a naughty way. I'm like, he's like so cool because he treated us like as athletes. Yeah, every single day we'd go in there, we'd be like, "Well, can we do this?" And he'd be like, "That does not fit my program, absolutely not." <laughs> you know? And we'd be like, "Oh, okay, uh, that, that's a good coach." I mean, it was like, I, I mean, it was, yeah. you know, and he's he's, he's, he's he's very structured man. He's, he's very, a very structured guy. <laughs> I mean, and he's like uh, ex-military guy, right? Yeah, he's ex-military, yeah, uh, small I mean, town, uh, small town in Ohio. Um, like, dude, like he I is know. a he, he is something that I look up to because he is such like he's so powerful and everything that he does. It's so structural yeah, for sure. and, with, yeah. and everything. He's a real grower, I tell you, man. Because <laughs> that dude he just definitely grows on you. That you. dude just grinded us down, and uh, and then I realized it wasn't because. Um, it was personal or anything. He literally was just treating us like a teammate. Well, and, also he's he's and obviously protecting the same Mac. standards for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I also, you know, it's who he is. Like that is who he is at his core. And we ended up falling right into you know uh, uh, the the need for the discipline and structured 
approach. <laughs> and, and, it, it was awesome to watch. And also, I was just like, <laughs> I know. And, but also the way that he accommodated us was, you know, um, another yeah, thing that's was, not really, that's not in the film, some real subtext here, a real Easter egg is that, you know, Max school really, uh, did not let us on school grounds at all, ever. Uh, they were really discriminatory towards us, right? Uh, if Mac were, you know, a cis wrestling star and ESPN showed up to do a piece, I guarantee they'd roll out the red carpet. Right, right. And instead, well, I mean, uh, they would do it for our football team. Like oh, they would let ESPN come to see the football players. But when yeah. it came oh, to, you know, yeah. yeah. And so we're outside, you know, a block away shooting drone footage of the school just so we could have it for the film. Yeah. And they called the police on us. You know, and uh, for us to gain access into these sporting events where, you know, there's public cameras, Fox News and everything. And they were still trying to exclude us. And we're like, if you exclude us, you exclude the media, period. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and and his coach really went out on a limb to help Mac share his story. So I am incredibly grateful for Coach Clark. Is he a hard ass? A hundred percent. Did he grind us down? He certainly did. Did he revel in it somewhat? <laughs> I think so. Uh, that being said, he's a very special human, you know, and a real advocate for Mac. And to watch that in real time was it was really, really powerful because that is what you want an educator yeah. you don't want kid gloves right you want someone who's gonna uh protect mac and also push him yep. you know like really treat mac like an elite athlete and push him as hard as he can and we got to experience that and it was extraordinary i don't think he gets a lot of credit we don't talk about him much but his level of courage in this film to allow us the safe space to to do what we did and how we did it um was invaluable we wouldn't have a film without it This is our sponsor break, and in this episode, we're celebrating Hyundai, a proud sponsor of The Outcast. Not only does Hyundai design amazing vehicles with advanced technology and innovation and provide America's best warranty, but they also stand with us to support our community, which is really important. As LGBT people and allies, it means a lot to support companies that support us. Hyundai is a company that supports bold ideas for today and the future, and is also a proud long-term partner of Outfest. It's your journey, and we're thrilled that Hyundai is a part of our chosen family. Thanks for listening. want to know more about Outfest? Of course you do. You're listening to this podcast. Outfest is the only LGBTQIA arts, media, and entertainment nonprofit organization in the world whose programs empower artists, communities, and filmmakers alike to transform the world through their stories, while also supporting the entire life cycle of their career from outset to legacy. And what that means is, it is one of the largest LGBT film festivals in the world and one of the largest film festivals in North America. Also, Outfest has a tremendous number of programs for young filmmakers, as well as archivists preserving gay stories for all time. It is a truly outstanding organization. And especially right now, we would love your help. Please go to outfest.org and learn how you can become a member of this fantastic organization. It's funny when you talk about how resistant the Texas school that Mac went to was to your shooting. When you look at the school's 
for Sarah in New Hampshire and Andrea in Connecticut, it's like night and day. Like you, you have that interview yeah, with you, that you educator. Say that. It wasn't exactly that. I have to say we ran into resistance everywhere and we just got more savvy on our end. We started to know like, you know, Alex and Claire and I just knew how to navigate it better as we went on. I mean, right. obviously Mac was the first story, but we just started throwing words around like, well, this feels discriminatory. Maybe we should have the ACLU call or oh. maybe, you know, and, it, and <laughs> you know, uh, because really like, we, yeah, wow. we just had, and we, you know, we had the right to be there and, um, and it was constant. Like we got that pushback constantly. I, I would say that Sarah Rose's uh, um, administration was the most welcoming but that took a year. Wow. You know, it, it wasn't like, heck yeah, get in here, bring a camera. It was like, yeah. we are deeply guarded. Uh, we want to make sure all the kids are safe. And I just kept saying, are you making sure all the kids are safe? Or are you being discriminatory? Right. Because there's actually a grand Canyon between these two things, but do you see it? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a process and one that, um, you know, I think as we just got better at navigating it, we just, we knew how to push those buttons in order to get access. Well, and the results, I think, too, you know, I, I, the eternal problem solver as I can be. OK, we don't have this. We don't have that. Like, I really wanted I love the scenes where we see Mac and the horses, you know, out in the country, because I think there is this assumption that we only live in big cities and we only live in these kind of communities. And yeah. what I love so much about you know, everyone being authentic about who they are and where they come from and what they're about is that you see into these very real life. I mean, everyone you see on the screen is, is that person mm -hmm. off screen. I mean, and, and that's a testament to um, Michael and, and the filmmaking team of everyone felt comfortable being themselves and being authentic and being true. And the benefit of that is that people then get to see that and identify with that and know that there is a diversity of communities and experiences that are often not seen um, in stories. And, and they need to be because these are places that there are some incredible people. Um, yeah, we don't we don't all just live in the, in the blues, like metro areas. I mean, that's the thing. Right. And, and and I think that was the thing. I th Again, it's like if, if trans if, if the the way that people perceive trans people is going to follow the way people have perceived gay people, then that's going to be the next thing. It's because, you know, nobody thought that gay people existed outside of like San Francisco, LA, New York, and Miami, like, you know, before, you know, whenever, like, like 10 or 15 years ago. And then, and then it's like, Oh, wait a second. My neighbors in Kentucky, they're not just roommates. Like, you know, <laughs> they're, they're a couple. Um, but I think that a lot of that has to do with being out and being visible and like doing what Mac has done by by putting his life out there in this film. Well, I I want to say, though, you know, Mac and Mac, you chime in, uh, was just trying to be himself and wrestle. It was the media firestorm that decided to come in and make it a story that he had no handle or ownership or agency of. and so. I think what helped me, yeah. I think what helped me through that was just like being exposed to like different institutions that I thought were, that in communities that I thought that I was going to be attacked in. Like, for instance, like, you know, my grandmother and the documentary says that she's Baptist. And, you know, a lot of people want to say that Christians are very, um, you know, they take a lot of offense to the LGBT community. 
And, and you know, that, that, that's not true. Like, it's, you know, those extreme people that try to take their faith and, you know, make it and demonize these people that don't need to be demonized. And on top of that, like, you know, just being in a country rural area that's, you know, kind of known to be conservative, like, you know, just being where I was at the time, like, it was it was very hard for me whether or not to whether if I even felt safe. And that's something that honestly made me stronger as an individual and made me want to be brave, not just for myself, but for the fact that if, if I can't be brave for myself, then why am I living life? Like, what's the point of living in fear? Well, you're, when you talk about your suicide attempt, Mac, it's one of the most moving parts of this film. And then you bring up this, there, there's, a, there's a card in the film, which I, I, it literally took my breath away when I was watching it the first time, that 40% of transgender youth attempt suicide. That is 4 in 10, 40%. That is, if you had asked me what number that was, I, I never would have come close to that high a number. That is a, a horrifying number. I mean, it's just what we go through every single day. It's like not just, you. it goes deeper. I, I don't want to say that we have more issues weighing in our heads than, you know, most cisgender um, individuals, but we do because we have to think not just, you know, about things that, you know, like, for instance, I started talking about having kids when I was like 16, 17 years old, only because of the fact that when I start hormones, am I going to be able to like, I have to say my eggs, like these different conversations that people don't think that we need to have. Like, it's something that, you know, that's just a part of our lives and who we are. It makes us stronger. It makes us more engulfed in ourselves and who we are as a person. Well, and I wanted to say too, to that 40% statistic, um, that's attempted suicide, not thought about, uh, not considered, attempted And it is not because transgender people are are somehow that much different than cisgender people. It is that the world makes it so difficult and challenging to be ourselves that sometimes that seems like the only way. Um, And so it speaks to how our culture needs to change. And that's not just in terms of lawmaking, because laws... you know, having the Equality Act is extremely important. We need non-discrimination of protections across the country, but that also requires culture change. And I think that's why the film is so important because we are inviting everyone into these worlds, into this these stories, into this conversation, because it is also incumbent on allies to do some of that education and to do some of that work and Absolutely. labor. So that trans people aren't always the ones having to do it. So I, you know, I come from Orange County, California, which is predominantly conservative. It's of a very certain type of people. And that's where I learned to do the work I now do at GLAAD, which is educating people, bringing them in and forward. And if you have the privilege and the platform and the comfort and the safety to do that, if you are an ally, please do. Uh, there's a lot of quickness to judge uh, that I see happening with allies. And and all I want to do is say, we need you in a different capacity. We really need you to have those conversations so we don't have to all the time. But that 40% can change. And it is by support and acceptance and love. Like it, it, There's data that if you have a supportive family, that that statistic can change. And I just want to mention too, one more thing, the young people in the film, we were very intentional about including them because we 
felt and we knew from them that they would their lives would be enhanced and empowered by having this platform also knowing that they have a support system i think that's really important even though you know michael alex and like everybody says that i didn't i shouldn't have to be this brave but i choose to want to be this brave because i feel like with the privileges that i have as a person um you know have a supportive family and being able to be myself I'm not gonna let anybody tell me that I'm not who I am. Like that's not gonna happen. And I'm going to take my story and I'm going to enlighten everybody else's story that may not be just as brave as me, but they have they will have the opportunity in order to be their true selves without having to be impacted in a negative way. That visibility and representation piece is so important. And at the same time, there needs to be a recognition that visibility of the trans community is very different than if you are LGB, especially if you're a young person. Yeah. Because as you get older, you being an LGB person usually becomes more public because of who you're dating, right. who your partner is, what your life looks like. Because that's how it manifests. It's like it's like I'm with this person or I'm dating this person. But if you're trans, it's yeah. this is every day, every moment. It's an internal sense of self. And most trans people that are going through their lives, like that gender history becomes more private because when I'm sitting in front of you right here, this is who I am. I am proud and open about that. And at the same time, acknowledging that trans people living as ourselves is our authentic and proud selves. And that, that gender history is a piece for some people that they may or may not want to talk about. And so making sure that whoever is telling their, especially trans youth, that they have the agency to decide is that do I want to be sharing this story or not right. and not having parents or, or anyone else deciding that for them. And I think, you know, it's hopefully clear in the film, like, you know, Mac, Mac knows who he is. He wants to share his story to help other people. Sarah is mini AOC in the making and Andrea. She's so great. We haven't, um, we haven't talked about Sarah or Andrea, but they're, they're absolutely fantastic. And I do want to talk about them just a little bit because, um, you know, how did you They're guys souls? Have you met them back Mac? Yeah, I've, I've met them, uh, loads of times. Um, we talk and chat to this day. Like I literally, I was ta- talking to Andre like a couple of days ago. Um, she was going to the mall and me and uh, my girlfriend were going to the mall. Right. And <laughs> we were, <laughs> we were snapping each other and I was just like, Oh, what are you eating? It was Chick-fil-A. I'm like, Oh, oh no, no, right? someone's uh, gonna get canceled. Like, fr- Don't get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was her friends, and I was like, because honestly, Chick-fil-A is good, but like I'm just like, God, it's so good. Like, God, why do you have to represent like such bad negativity? It, like, it, ain't, it, ain't, it ain't good, it ain't good enough to justify like go to Popeyes. It's it's, it's better sandwich. Oh. oh, I like really I, I like the Popeyes. You know, sandwich. we uh <laughs> we premiered at uh, Tribeca, and that is where Sarah okay. Rose and Andre yeah. and Mac met. And all of us, all of us at that point in time, just feel like proud parents. <laughs> you know what I mean? We'd spend so much time with with these athletes, and uh, and they had never met, and we realized that. And then we had everyone stay together. You know, well, that would have been and, a documentary um, in and of itself. I want I want that as a special feature. Like you should have shot I that. Just, the minute they all met each other, we were like. Wow, they have like uh, uh, an immediate kinship that's uh, it's really profound to witness. They were yeah, not awesome. on their own. It was just <laughs> I know, <laughs> which is amazing because I think like that. I mean, Andrea has talked about this. She didn't really 
no other trans people outside of Terry. And so this was a new community that, um, you know, they'll always have each other in this very special experience. You know, Mac, I'd like you to talk about this a little bit because we shot this film, um, you know, with each of their stories happening in different states and different parts of the country. And even though they, it feels like they're united, they, they it really were so weren't. interesting. I felt connected and so close to somebody that I never met in my life. And then to feel that connection of like, there's something that's just like similar, like we're all, we're all trans, we're all human, we're athletes, we're student athletes, we're, you know, just, just trying to live life. And we were just kind of like, dude, why, why is everybody being so mean to us? Like, we're just loving kids. It wasn't like they were struggle bonding or trauma bonding, you know, they were just homies. <laughs> it was, it was. Yeah, I mean, I was just psyched. It was like so like lovely. The big to brother that was a bad influence. <laughs> Mac, I want you to start a podcast with Sarah and Andrea, and I would listen to it every week. You just, just talk you about whatever. Ideas, yeah, that would be okay. so amazing. <laughs> One of the things that struck me about this film is how gorgeous it is. It is a gorgeously shot film. So when I was doing my research on the film, I'm like, oh, Michael, you have a cinematography background, <laughs> like, and you shot this. Tell me about the, like, you know, for the tech geeks here, tell me about the cameras you use. Tell me how you got all these beautiful images. <laughs> oh my God, you're you're just like, I know, speaking my language <laughs> You open up the can of wires, uh, bro. <laughs> so I always assumed that when you're making a documentary, the images had to be really raw and authentic and honest. And I do, they are, they are in this film as well. But I really set a, a, a bar for this film. We shot the film with anamorphics, which is, very rare in documentary, particularly Verite. Oh my God, it looks gorgeous. Yeah, and we used, you know, really vintage glass. You know, we shot on uh, old Kawas, which are incredibly soulful and expressive. That's where you get all those like rainbow flares and, you know. Um, and I think that expression, you know, we see that expression a lot when you're watching like a LeBron James sure. uh, Nike ad or when you're watching, you know, and there's a language in sports, uh, a visual language in sports that uh, was very natural for us to lean into here because sports are always dramatized visually, you know, and there's just, you know, for uh, when you're shooting a doc, you know, there's so much luscious imagery here that we get to point a camera at, which is them, you know, being exquisite athletes, training really, really hard, that just gives you a process, you know, a beginning, middle and an end that you get to point a camera at that's like really uniquely cinematic. And so I wanted to lean into that, uh, you know, the language that we have because we did make the film for a wide audience. So we wanted to utilize that language very intentionally that people are used to seeing sports in this really heightened visual style. And, uh, and while that was happening, I wanted it to be artful. I wanted it to be really soulful. And, um, you know, and I, I think that uh, uh, as we proceeded, it was really hard to do because we set a really high standard and we had a crew of two or three people out there. I was going to ask because it couldn't, it couldn't have been more than a few people. And, I, and you have these beautiful shots. I remember yeah. one of Mac and it's in slow motion. You, you probably shot it at like 60 or 120 with, with Max. It's, it's yeah, his yeah, back yeah. looking at at the uh what is it yeah. the 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 it's not the gym the what mirrors? am i talking about like it's the back looking yeah. at the auditorium yeah. uh with the mats and people walking behind him and i i looked mm -hmm. at that mm -hmm. and my filmmaker mind was just like okay that was set up and that's gorgeous mac was checking his text <laughs> did you just grab it and shot it it's so like, good though yeah, i saw on the film i was like literally checking his like, when did he do that and then we just happened to get in a post and i was like 
man, he's just texting this. Te- and it's like such a profound moment in the film and the, in the yeah. bite that we load over it. You know, I do think, people, I do think people hate me. The truth is this homeboy's <laughs> just over here but checking his text But that's the messages. beauty of editorial. That's the beauty of documentary. <laughs> it's like, you know, you have this beautiful shot. You don't know what Max thinking. It looks like Max looking out and like being all like deep and stuff. It's like, it's very, very powerful to watch it within the context of the film. Yeah, and just I mean, to those, justify the yeah, those scene, are those happy like, accidents. Everything happening that day was so chaotic, right? And in a sense, like it, the that scene almost like and how you captured it, Michael was just like that's exactly how the whole day felt. Was just the fact that what is happening right now, right? That was really Mac just taking a break from the 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 sort of like the noise. Yeah, and I mean that literally, you know, of everything that was happening, and he just sort of removed himself from the gym for a beat and you know, had a sip of Gatorade and took a step out and, you know, we just right. happened to have a camera with me. And I was like, you know, th- that window's there, it's framed. There was a lot of people walking through the frame and I, you know, obviously that foreground stuff is great when you're thinking about editorial transitions. And so, so anyway, so yeah, to, to, to yeah, to kind of keep going on that stuff, it was, it was really, really difficult to challenge ourselves to create that kind of imagery consistently throughout the film. So much so that we would be like in a really nice moment, we'd be outside somewhere and Claire would be like, are you going to pick the camera up? And I'd be like, we can't film for like an hour. The light's not. Good. Yeah. Did you have more than one camera or just, just one? Yeah, at the, ma- at the matches, we had two cameras. A lot of times we had like a producer grabbing a cell phone, like that shot of Ngazi in the stands at the end being like, mm-hmm, run Terry, mm-hmm. run Andrea. You know, that's literally Claire who just grabbed her phone and was just sitting there with her. Yeah. And we just use that stuff, you know, with Max saying, you know, it feels like I'm winning, but also feels like I'm losing. That was me. I didn't have a camera on me at the time because the A camera, we only had one camera was off shooting B-roll. And I just grabbed a cell phone and, you know, got that moment with Mac who looked really emotional and raw at that moment. And so, you know, in those moments, I didn't get bogged down in the, in the technical, you know, wizardry that I know we had established because I wanted to make sure that we, you know, left open that room to get those authentic moments. And I actually think those moments are very visceral and provide a nice, like, you know, kind of contrast to the cinematic imagery that, you know, we held ourselves uh, accountable to. And in those moments, yeah, they, they actually, the rawness of those actually, make them pop in a way that uh, that I that I really leaned into, you know. But it's gorgeous. It all works. I mean, because you're telling a story that is it's very immediate and it's very emotional. And you're doing it in a documentary and that and you're doing it with anamorphics for God's sake. This is very very high bar that you set yeah. for yourself in this production. Yeah. Yeah, but but it was also it, the responsibility of telling the story needed that high bar because I didn't want this film to live in a niche space, right? I wanted this film to be widely accessible and we wanted to build that cinematic language. And we also wanted to put these kids in a space that they deserved, right? We wanted to honor them to be the heroes of their story. And heroes in the sports mm-hmm. world are treated this way, right? They get this visual treatment and we wanted to lean into that really, really hard. Um, and we did, you know, uh, consistently throughout the film. I mean, I, and not only that, one of the very last shots, one of the very last scenes we shot was Mac wrestling, you know, men at Life University. And that stuff looks dope. I mean, it looks like it's straight out of Fight Club. And we scouted that location. You do not scout locations dude, in documentary the scenes, though, I was you know? coming out of top surgery, too. And Michael was like, dude, you need this shot, bro. And I was wow. like, oh, we need the shot, man. I was like, it's going to be beautiful. And uh, he was hurting. It was I know, awesome, he was hurting. Though. It was real. Yeah, but the way the light was in that room, I mean, we really, like, we went, because we, it was an interesting scene, right? Because, like, we knew Mac was wrestling with dudes at school. We knew he made the team, and that was really, really amazing. What a great ending for a film. Like, I can't ask for a better ending for a film as a a storyteller, right? Just as an arc, it's like, 
man, like that's just magic right there. And also I was like, well, how do we, how do we honor this visually, uh, you know, for Max journey. And I just wanted to look so Mm -hmm. banger, you know, I just wanted it to be like perfect. And we brought out a gimbal and a, you know, uh, so everything could be like really floaty and perfect and majestic. And we had one light coming through. That was the sun. Cause we literally like scouted that moment and that beat, you know? Uh, yeah. So it was a process to get that stuff. Uh, it was really, really hard. And then when we started to think about music, you know, uh, if you ever watch the film again, I'll give you a little bit of insight, but we created three different soundscapes for each person. You know, Max interior is a lot of hip hop. It's a lot of beats. You know, Tyler and my buddy Seb, who uh, operates under the name Gozi, you know, produce those beats that we really felt like really were Max like inner monologue. You know, he listens to a lot of hip hop. That music speaks mm-hmm. to him. It speaks to me, too. And uh, and when we get to, you know, Sarah Rose, you know, we worked really hard to find that soundscape for her. And then we get to Terry, you know, that like really beautiful uh you know, ethereal music that we found that kind of fits what we feel like is her inner monologue. And then slowly but surely we had all those evolve into one sound, you know, as thematically the film starts to unite and their stories kind of collide. And this is hard to do. I mean, this yeah. takes just months and months and months and months <laughs> yes. and months and months of thought. I think that's, a, that's, a, that's an and, understatement. And, like doing any documentary is hard to do, but I mean, honestly, doing a documentary and really keeping it like, you know, shooting it the way you did and keeping it character centric. I mean, this is... It's 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 the, it's the highest of high bars. But these stories deserve the highest bar, you know, truly they deserve the highest bar. So I held myself accountable and in doing so held all my collaborators accountable uh, to do the best work they've ever done. And I'm glad you recognize that because we don't often talk about, you know, the craftspeople who worked on this movie. But, you know, I really challenged them to uh, raise the bar and every single person stepped up. And, uh, you know, to use a sports metaphor, they knocked it out of the park. And, and I just wanted to add in too, I think like, you know, as we've started seeing reviews coming out and people loving on the film, it's so It's like a 99% on talk. Rotten Tomatoes. It's like crazy. It's a hundred percent. Oh God. Oh, oh, I am so um, sorry. Oh my come God. Come on, but, man, David. <laughs> but what I wanted to say though, is, is we're seeing a lot of people talking about how timely the film is and it really, it couldn't be more timely. And at the same time, I think we're we're still waiting for people to recognize the quality of the storytelling, regardless of what time this film comes out. It is revolutionary in so many ways because these young people are the heroes in their own stories, which so often just isn't the case. This was shot in 2018? So 2017, 2018, yeah. And since then, what have you been up to? I've just been living life, uh, doing uh, MMA, Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai. I uh, officially retired from wrestling a couple of months ago, um, just because of the fact that with this fight that's happening, um, the amount of time and effort that I had to put in to wrestling was was constricting me from being able to have to use my voice as a platform and be able to project it in a way that was vocal on not just a limit to just playing my sport, but on a mass scale. Right. Of, you know, you I have mean? a platform now. People, people know your story. Yeah. They, that was a very hard decision for me to make. Very, very hard. It was, I had to have a deep conversation with my coach and was like, I don't think I have the capability and the time to be able to be doing this right now. 
um, to be able to focus on my academics and be able to do all these different things. Like, I just feel like right now my fight is with protecting these kids because I don't want any other kid to go through what I went through. Right. I'd be detrimental. That would that would be me. If I couldn't do that for my community, I'd be feel like not I'm failing my community, but also failing myself as an individual. Do you do speeches and stuff or I do I do speeches. Um I, you know, if call college kids or um high school kids want me to, you know, they want me in their papers or ask me questions about um the trans community, um, trans athletes, uh different things. Um, even athletes who just come to me like, what are your workout regimens? Like stuff like that. Like I am not just a platform for just like the trans community, but you know, in general, like I'm an athlete and you know, that's very impactful to me. Um, I feel like now I'm in a mode to where I'm more of a teacher rather than a student. And that to me is really something that not a lot of people can achieve because being a leader is hard. Right. Um, and, uh, rather than being a follower. Right. And I feel like I really stepped up to, um, to a plate that I never figured that I would be so exposed to in such a short amount of time. And I feel like I'm handling it very graciously and in a way that is very poetic um, <laughs> because I, I'm very, when I talk, like I'm not like very, um, I'm, I'm very spiritual and I have a very soft soul. So when I'm talking about these things, I honestly am not really like, if somebody wants to know something about me, I'm not very demonizing about the fact that if you want to know something about me, I'll, I will be open to whatever question that you have, which is, which is valuable. And it actually puts, I, I would say cisgender people, I would imagine more at, at ease because there are just a lot of people who I would imagine are just worried about offending. Well, yeah. I mean, even my own girlfriend, like she was afraid to ask me questions. Right. And I was like, I was like, don't be afraid to ask me questions. Like, it's okay. Like, you know, we're in a relationship. We, you kind of need to know these questions. There are a couple of things that need to be talked about. Yeah. And I mean, it, uh, that's okay. She was like, well, I've had this experience with, you know, an, another trans individual. And I was like, well, I'm not that trans individual. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, if you want to ask me a question, I'm openly to, if I, if I feel like you're overstepping a boundary, I will gladly tell you that you're overstepping this boundary and it just needs to be respected. Because you have but, a sense um, of self, you have a sense of self and you, you don't take offense like on a knee jerk basis, which is, which is so valuable. And it's like, it's something that, I mean, generally people your age don't learn <laughs> until much later. I know a lot of people my age that haven't learned it yet. It's, it's very, it's very humble. It's very humbling. And to myself um to have gone on an individual journey that no one really knows about yet mm -hmm. uh, because i i struggled a lot when i graduated out of high school and especially with my mental health mm -hmm. um you know just a little insight uh I, I struggled a lot with alcohol and that that really took a toll on me and i had to be like yo what is going on right now like this isn't me like this is not me what is going on so i really had to really look deep within myself again and, you know, find out what really drives me as an individual, what I need to do for myself and what do I want to do the rest for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And how am I going to be able to do that? It sounds be like, happy. it sounds like you're being the man that you would have wanted to see when you were younger. Oh yeah. I'm just like, dude, you're so much better now. You've come such a long way. Like I give myself a little pep talks. I'm like, Dude, this is crazy. Like, what is happening? We've unlocked a level of, like, of self that people find so hard to try to achieve in life. Like, I, I wish I could always have my third eye open, but I haven't achieved that yet. Um, but 
because I struggle with just like inner, like, you know, anger and like being like patient and practicing patience and being loving and being caring and not just like aspects of what is just for me, but also for the fact that, you know, people have different lives and they're going to act differently. And so like, it's very, yeah, it's very glorifying. Um, it's just, yeah. Well, and I just wanted to say too, you know, I think, one of my favorite parts that going back to the film a little bit, one of my favorite parts that I always talk about is when we see Sarah on the chairlift and she's swinging her legs and it is such a subtle and quiet moment, but it reminds me that we are, we're, we deserve our innocence and our childhood and our youths that are so often cut short because we have to be adults so quickly. We have to learn that the world may not be a completely safe place for us and we have to be aware of our surroundings and sort of grow up. But there, there are gifts about knowing who you are. I mean, self-awareness, self-acceptance is a gift that not everyone gives themselves. And I think there's so much to be learned um, from so many trans people because we've had to fight against everyone telling us who they think we are and persisting and, and saying, actually, this is who we know ourselves to be and how powerful that is in, in so many more functions and aspects of our lives. Now that it's on Hulu, millions of people like because it was running around the festival circuit and, and getting all these awards and stuff but that's just the festival circuit it's on hulu now you can stream it right now it's in a new director's cut with a new song like tell me like some of the differences tell me what what's different about this cut versus the other cut michael yeah you know this journey for the movie you know i i knew like making you know a trans youth advocacy film would have its hurdles in the marketplace right those hurdles, I'm, I think having Hulu, Disney by proxy, you know, um, market support this film in a, in, a, in a massive way with a lot of support. That is progress. But it was a journey to get there. And also it was a journey to just get to Tribeca, right? We were shooting with uh, Sarah Rose, you know, that makeup scene uh, of hers that introduces her. We shot that like six weeks before Tribeca, you know, and six weeks before you lock shooting before you're trying to premiere is a, <laughs> it's a real nightmare from a filmmaking perspective so we were really rushed you know i went and uh, i took the film out to santa fe and finished with um this extraordinary filmmaker alexandria bomback who uh you know uh had won best director at sundance and made on her shoulders and just an exquisite filmmaker who's editorial brain you know I, I respect above you know all of my peers and you know, we really unpacked the film and, you know, had really profound conversations and we did it really quickly. You know, her edit brain works in, 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 you know, like a supercomputer. And, and then we got back home and buttoned the film up just days before and had to ship it for color and sound, you know, and all the technical stuff to, to get there. And really as the film sort of like lingered during quarantine, you know, and I thought about like, right. man, the little tweaks right. I would love to do to go back in. Uh, and as the film kind of made its way through legal and everything at Hulu, they make you kind of jump into most scenes and make little changes mm -hmm. uh, anyway. Like fuzzing uh, people out or, or just yeah, like, you know, of... standard and clearances and fuzzing people out and, you know, going in, you have to cut this person out. We can't say this. There's a brand in here. They don't want in there. There's mm -hmm. a whatever it may be. And that's that's the minutia of delivering a film to a big streaming uh, partner, which is great. I'll, right. We will gladly do it. Right. But while we were doing that, I was also like, well, why don't we, you know, uh, just take a beat and go through here and make sure the film right, is right. really evergreen. Make it better. Because, 
Yeah, you make it better because we shot it a couple of years ago and who gets the chance to go back in and really kiss the film over and over again. And we, Michael Mann. Yeah, I mean, sure. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 apparently Francis Ford Coppola, you know, three, yes, exactly. three decades later. So it was, it was a real gift to get to do so and to like kind of tweak some of the music and to create new music and original songs, you know, have the budget to do so, which was really nice. And, uh, and really, I just looked at it not as a burden, but as a gift. Like, how can we actually, mm-hmm. you know, just give the film that, that, that final kind of, once again, respect the craft uh, touch? And really what we discovered was there's some, there were some scenes, you know, that really not only uh, could they use a little kiss, they could actually be, like, shifted completely and moved around, and it really hit some thematics harder. And... Um, yeah, so I mean, what 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 a gift it was to go back in, and we spent about two months recutting it. And I don't know, have you seen the new cut, Mac? I have not seen the new cut yet. Yeah, well, it's on Hulu. I don't know if you've heard. Got to get a Hulu, man. <laughs> <Did> I... <laughs> like, go get Hulu. What are we doing here? Dude, the reason why I like I'm so hesitant <laughs> to watch this because my girlfriend like she hates Presley, bro. And I'm like, bro, she's always like, trust, trust me. It's, a, it's, we watched it a few times. Like I asked Claire like to send me the documentary so we could watch it so I could watch it with her. But I haven't seen the new cut yet, so I literally am gonna watch it today. Actually, it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's right. fantastic. And people can uh, go onto Twitter and do it's at Changing Game Doc. Uh, and just get the latest on it. And uh, I think you guys are on Twitter too. Uh, Michael is. I'm not. Oh, Mac, Mac, you're not. Yeah, no, not Twitter. Here. But I think it, we're we're like big on Instagram. Is kind of our main vibe. Yeah, Instagram definitely. If you have not seen this film, and I would imagine most people listening to this have not, please see it on Hulu. It's so good, and it just makes you feel great. I mean, it's just a wonderful movie with 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 people that you just end up caring so much about. Um, Alex Schmitter, director Michael Barnett, and Mac Beggs, thank you so much for being on The Outcast. I so appreciate it. Thank you, David. Thanks so much for having thank us. Thank you. And this has been The Outcast, presented by Outfest. For more, go to outfest.org slash The Outcast. The Outcast is executive produced by Alan Konigsberg, David Kittredge, and Ismail El-Sharif. Special thanks to Damien Navarro, Daniel Crook, and the entire Outfest team. Music by West One Music Group. Mixed by Craig Lawrence Smith. For more information about Outfest, the film festival, the programs, and all the ways you can help support LGBTQ voices, go to outfest.org. The Outcast is a production of Milton Ventures Media and Triple Fire Productions. I'm David Kittredge. Thank you so much for listening and catch you next time. <laughs>